Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trunarne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 114 of the podcast, the topic is Sustainable Norway. Our guest is Christian B., Director at Innovation Norway, San Francisco and Palo Alto. In this conversation, we talk about sustainable entrepreneurship and the recent systemic innovation policy implemented by Norwegian Strategy at a governmental level, resulting in a focus on research and development, grants and funding that incent green tech innovation. Christian, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's exciting. We are recording this on uh, two days after the Norwegian Constitution Day. You are um, celebrating this, I'm assuming, in Palo Alto. Yeah, it was a bit uh, lesser of a celebration than uh, than I suppose would be normally. But we uh, we gathered some vaccinated friends and had a little children's parade in the park and a, a nice uh, breakfast for the Constitution Day. So it was good. That's great. I actually had a little celebration uh, myself. We have a, a bunch of Norwegian families on, on my street, actually. So that was good. Um, question. It's been a, it's been a funny year, uh, but you, you, you're head of something very interesting, which we'll get to uh, in Palo Alto called Norwegian Innovation House. I, I, I hope we can figure out this, but I, I don't actually think it's just a house, but we can, we can get to that. It's more than a house. Um, but I wanted to start with you because you, you're obviously representing Norway and the Nordics now in, in Palo Alto. But I know one thing about you: you're you, two things actually. You're a you know a business uh, developer, I guess, by trade salesperson, very you know interested in communication. But you also love tap dancing. Can you explain this for me? Yeah, well, that's my my dark no my guilty pleasure or dark secret. Yeah, it's your dark I, side. I don't know where that comes from. I always loved dancing, and and I've been since I was a kid thoroughly fascinated by by those old tap dance movies with Ginger Roger and Fred Astaire's Chicago, the tap dance number for the lawyer. And my wife got a whiff of this, uh, and for my fortieth birthday, she brought she bought me. Um, tap dance shoes uh, lessons with a choreographer and she actually also booked a stage in Oslo for me to perform on uh, so I was totally shocked way out of my comfort zone but actually ended up uh, taking classes and performing it wasn't on a big stage but it was in uh, in a garden in our garden on my my 40th birthday so that was uh, that was a kick uh, quite literally I, I think well, exactly. It was a kick. That, that's that's a great story. I just wanted to start there because there are some there are many more traditional ways to to start talking to someone. I mean, you, I know you have a military background. You've gone to business school. You've done all of the very nice things that happens to successful people. But I thought this was somewhat more unique. That was really um, pushing. It. Anyway, what made you quit? <laughs> what made you quit your job in advertising and take a chance on a solar lamp? Because you've, you've also done that, so you're an entrepreneur. Yeah, in short, I've been always very passionate about good ideas. Uh, I love great ideas, innovative ideas, things that challenge us, and, and that brought me into advertising. But I also felt that a lot of big brands and, and corporates 
kind of lose the passion for their product and their purpose along the way. So it becomes a career path instead of a passion for something you're you're supposed to sell and market. So I was kind of uh, looking for something that would really engage me and and get me passionate and. Uh, as I was on the board of directors of a small industrial design company, I, I knew this designer who came to me uh, with a very early stage 3D printed prototype of a solar lamp that was developed uh, mainly for the sub-Saharan African market, the off-grid market of about 1.3 billion people at the time. That was back in 2011. And seeing this product, uh, I actually have it. Yeah, I always have it close by. Seeing this product, I was just blown away by the the smartness of the design, the functionality, and, and also the possibilities for such a product in a market where, you know, 1.3 billion people are depending on kerosene for light. So it was a combination of a deep sort of uh, respect for the for the engineering and the design and also a, a very strong sense of adventure. You know, what if I could jump ship in advertising and, and get going with this uh, with this baby. So um, I told Marius, the designer, you know, I would really like to help you. I signed up for a, a competition in Colorado, uh, actually, in Boulder, Colorado. And we ended up winning uh, like a, a pitch competition for social entrepreneurs. And that, that made me quit. I, I saw the feedback we got at that very early stage. And uh, yeah, ended up starting the company and, and after four years became a lead supplier to the UN for solar lamps and, and phone chargers. That's It's a great story. One of the reasons I, I thought that we would sort of start there is um, the story of Norway, you know, is, is, is complicated, obviously, you know, it, uh, it's industrial background uh, and uh, its relationship to arguably sustainability has sort of come over a period of time. It's obviously an oil producing country, so it's a complicated story in that sense. But uh, there are a lot of entrepreneurs that have these ideas, and this is, seems to be, you know, one of them. It's a sustainability, renewable energy idea, and and you've had experience in that field. Um, how is that translating to the job that you've been doing now over this uh, actually pretty difficult year, representing Norway and the Nordics over over here in the U.S.? Um, I know there was a fun commercial that. Was uh, that brought up some of the Scandinavian features uh, and and feats regarding electric vehicles? M many of us were watching the Super Bowl, where Will Ferrell was um, upset at Norway for having so many electric vehicles on the road, and it was like promising death over uh, you know those guys and you know going to beat them with uh, GM's new new EV. But um, how did how did Norway become? so focused uh, on electric vehicles, on sustainability. H how does that translate into policy and how do you see it, you know, on an everyday basis uh, as you are kind of presenting Norway's innovation abroad? Because, you, you know, you work for Innovation Norway at the end of the day here. Yeah, I think there's several sort of explanations for that. First of all, I think coming from a country that is so dependent on natural resources, uh, you, you get a strong understanding and respect for the resources you surround yourself with and also the beauty of nature. So you have this both the combination of looking for opportunities in natural resources uh, and, and also uh, the respect for nature and your, you know, uh, 
hope to to keep and maintain a beautiful nature and that you know brought from the very early days uh, Norway into exploring opportunities uh, that was close at hand and and hydropower power soon sort of became the main source of electricity in Norway with um, the building out of waterfalls and and rivers with you know high um you know, high, super high potential, done very, very often quite locally. So every little town, every little sort of village had their own power uh, supply based on rivers and, and waterfalls. Uh, and I think that interest in, you know, uh, leveraging local opportunities and at the same time trying to, to be respectful of both the nature and the people who, who's living in, in sort of surrounded by, by this technology has brought us on a path to explore in a, of course, uh, sort of, uh, you, you might say capitalistic way, but still respectful way on how you treat the resources uh, that you get to. So, you know, when Norway discovered the oil and and uh, set up for oil production in partnership with, with foreign uh, production companies, uh, we made sure both that we kept the ownership to the old oil fields and that we had political control over how those resources were uh, leveraged and, and used. So that, you know, brought us in a position where I believe we have the, the strongest regulations uh, on the petroleum industry in the world related to, you know, reduced emissions, uh, very high focus on safety. And, and that in turn uh, established a supply chain, a wide range of innovative companies who developed always better solutions for the petroleum industry. And, and uh, those, you know, those companies, and a lot of that competency is now again turned into exploring even more or more sustainable uh, sources of energy. So, you know, uh, wind, solar, um, and uh, hydrogen. So there's, there is this tradition of again, you know, looking for the natural resources, being respectful of, of the environment, but also building up a very strong, uh, you know, educational platform and and professional platform to to offer jobs to people who really engage in this. So that's where a lot of the innovation comes from. I, I think it's been a blessing for Norway that young people who maybe 10 years ago would go into the petroleum industry and now is looking for how they can use their uh, engineering or programming knowledge and skills to explore new opportunities. It's been fascinating for me uh, being an expat over the last 10, 15 years because uh, I guess 20 years ago, I was an entrepreneur in Trondheim, Norway, among very few, actually. You know, we built an incubator and we're trying to spin out ideas uh, out of the university, work with young people. And there was a embryonic innovation environment, but a lot has happened over the last 15 years, 20 years, arguably, um, where what you're saying now is, 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 I guess, more commonplace. These uh, entrepreneurs are not as rare as they used to be. There's, there even seems to be capital, which was always the... The big excuse, I think, in, in Norway and other places, they were saying, well, you know, there's not capital, there's no risk capital, we, we can't do this, no, no one's incented to do it. How do you, uh, well, first of all, how can you just characterize a little bit this movement, this entrepreneurial movement that's been happening in Norway? Is it purely based on government 
stimuli and incentives for green innovation, which I guess Scandinavia generally is known for, and Norway in particular, for these grants to innovators and that kind of thing? Or is there something more going on where, where this is becoming a career opportunity despite all of this and, and simply just because young people want to do different things? Yeah, I think, I think there's two sides to that story. One side is that since the um, sort of uh, early 2000s, entrepreneurship uh, became a very hyped opportunity. Uh, you, you had, of course, some of the big tech companies emerging. Uh, young people saw how you can make a career, you know, developing apps, doing fun stuff, techie stuff. And, and suddenly it became, you know, you got this whole ecosystems with co-working spaces, young people hanging out, exploring new ideas. So that wasn't, you know, necessarily driven as much from purpose as from, you know, this is a cool place to be. I'd rather build my own little company, creating a, a immensive popular app or, or a new device uh, than work for one of the traditional corporates. So I think that's one part of the story. It was super hyped and, and a lot of schools you know, uh, recruited young people who were setting out for their own companies. And so that's part of it, mainly in the bigger cities. And, and very often, I would say, not necessarily so closely related to, you know, research facilities or, you know, the universities. Then you had, on the other hand, uh, changes in the infrastructure and industry that, that created, you know, people who, you know, maybe had... 10, 15 years of experience from the oil, petroleum, energy industry, shipping industry. Uh, some of them were laid off in the financial crisis of two, 2008. Uh, and they started, you know, rethinking and, you know, uh, looking for opportunities, how to start companies where they could leverage a lot more sort of skills-based uh, background. So you have in the industrial sectors, a lot of innovators and, and great innovation made by really experienced people. And then you had in the bigger cities, you know, the, the somewhat more hyped uh, scene. And then uh, more and more, the universities uh, got started and offered incubators and, and to some extent, you know, funding partners. So you also sort of uh, got the got the educational institutions engaged. Uh, but that, uh, that took a little more time, I would say. Yeah. No, it was actually uh, a little surprising to me, given the independent streak that Norwegians are also famous for, right? You know, refuse to be part of the EU, you know, want to govern themselves. There are a lot of in the, there's a lot of independence there. But I guess the oil money kind of put us all on, a, on, a, on an, an easier path for a little while. It was, despite even all of this independence, it was somewhat easier to just accept the the very sort of handsome paychecks. But, you know, um, now things are different. Tell me about the Norwegian Crown Prince's virtual visit to California during the pandemic. What, what was that about? What was the message? How did it go? I, I saw some of these virtual, you know, backgrounds and, you know, the, the green screens and all that stuff. I saw some of the prep videos. How, how did it go? And what was the objective there? Yeah, so so first of all, I, I would like to say that we are blessed with a royal house and a crown prince that is also eagerly engaged in innovation and the entrepreneur scene. So when when he is invited to represent Norway in in innovative settings, he he is very uh, on board and is a very good representative. But the background was basically that in in California, you know, we work very closely with the consulate general 
and and together we sort of formed Team Norway, which is you know uh, with the intention of helping Norwegian industries and companies find partners in in uh, let's say the west coast of, of the U.S. and Having this, uh, you know, pandemic as a limitation to travel, um, we started exploring the opportunity to to organize the first ever virtual royal visit to California. That is partially because the crown prince himself studied at, at UC Berkeley, so he has a personal history here. But more importantly, uh, uh, some some new policies and, and decisions from California's side, you know, with the with the SEV strategy, the zero emission vehicle strategy to have all of California new cars, zero emission by 2035. Uh, you had Biden, the Biden administration's sort of opening up to exploring offshore wind uh, off the coast of, of California. And you also had the need to fund all these new uh, efforts. Uh, so we decided to to put together uh, a few panels and some high level representatives from these two coastal uh, you can say two coastal nations but two coastal cultures uh, to to seek out the opportunities for partnership for a sustainable future and that was sort of the the main headline for for the visit uh, so we had representatives from Great. both from sort of ministry level in Norway uh, the lieutenant governor uh, of, of California and some other high, uh, you know, highly positioned people that got together in a virtual studio to discuss, in particular, zero emission vehicles, uh, the electrification of and, and mobility and, and offshore wind and how all this could be funded. So, so that was the setting, and uh, as you mentioned, it was in a totally virtually built studio by the besides the the golden gate bridge where it had a very strong sort of visual impact the whole the whole visit why is it that foreign nations are or and you know states are considering using norway as a test bed for for their vehicles and technologies and i guess also uh mobile technologies uh, in in particular is there a specific reason why that is particularly suited for norway yeah, there are a couple of factors. I think for for a lot of technology companies and and uh, yeah, especially maybe the the um, electric cars business. You know, we have first of all, it's a long country with long stretches of roads with a challenging climate. So you know that if you test your equipment, your cars or your sort of infrastructure equipment under in those environments, you know they will they will hold because it's a quite extreme environment with long stretches. Uh, there is also a very good infrastructure, uh, so roads, railroads, and, and uh, airports. But but also even more importantly, I would say the the you know infrastructure for data, so internet, high speed uh, broadband with great distribution. Uh, I'm surprised actually how much better it is than in Silicon Valley. I would expect it to be amazing here, but. In Norway, you have full 4G coverage uh, basically all along. And then you have the very cheap electricity, which has brought a lot of companies to Norway, uh, both because you know power is uh, an important part of the equation, but also for data storage, for instance, uh, it's been a, a selling point for Norway. And then you have uh, regulations from the government that incentivizes, uh, you know, testing of and implementation of new technology to to uh, to become more sustainable. So, so you have long-term governmental plans and schemes 
that gives you, you know, a, a pretty long runway uh, with predictability to test your technology and make partnerships that will stick. Got it. Um, uh, before we uh, turn into talking a little bit about some of these uh, specific innovative companies that I know you must meet on an everyday basis uh, here because they, they come over and you know, you know about them as they're sort of internationalizing, give me a, a sense and for, for the readers also, what is Nordic Innovation House? I mean, maybe let's start with what, is, what are the Nordics in this, in this context? Which, which countries are we talking about and what kind of collaboration is this? Because this is not just Norway. No, um, Nordic Innovation House is a, you could almost call it a platform for the Nordic countries in, in Silicon Valley. So you have uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, and Iceland as partners uh, in this, in this project. And, uh, you know, the Nordics is a region with a shared language, with a shared culture and, and rather high degree of openness and, and trade and collaboration between the countries. Uh, and even though we are, you know, one by one, rather small countries, together we are a rather substantial uh, sort of both market and, and uh, innovation scene. So in order to sort of gather our forces, uh, Nordic Innovation House has become both a platform and a, and a physical building in, in Palo Alto where all the, um, what we call trade promoting offices, that is, you know, Innovation Norway, uh, Business Sweden, Innovation Center Denmark. So the, the offices from all these countries who are supporting their respective countries when it comes to export and innovation, they have sort of joined forces to build accelerator programs, partnerships for research, um, and and uh, do events together, both uh, virtually and, and physically, you know that uh, serves the whole uh, range of opportunities in the Nordics to the to U.S. partners and and um, and customers. So it's it's a really strong and good collaboration that has been going on since I believe uh, 2013. So it's it's still quite new, but uh, with a lot of success. Uh, and uh, I think in the future we hopefully yeah I I was going to say I've been I I've been there. I was going to say I've just I've been there. And one of the things that struck me because I have visited various innovation Norway kind of outfit, outfits throughout the years and I remember one visit which was I guess more to the consulate which is in San Francisco and whereas you know San Francisco is a great place the vibe is very different in this innovation house. I mean you're literally right there on the strip in in Palo Alto with with all the um, innovators and, and you're right there in the urban Palo Alto environment, if you can call Palo Alto urban. But certainly, you know, it is in the heart of, of the innovation environment right there. Um, what do you think went into this uh, decision and what's the benefit of being that close? I, I understand there's still an operation, there's an official operation still in San Francisco, right, for, for, for Norway. So I'm sure there's reasons to be in the city. But what does it give you to be so close to Palo Alto, to Stanford, and um, and to entrepreneurs, and and venture capitalists? I might say. Yeah, I, I believe, and that's what I've been missing. Uh, I would say for the last year or so, you know, the opportunity to actually meet pe people uh, informally, just just out drinking coffee. Uh, you, it's it's so fast to build network and and to get you know introductions uh, in this in this area and as you mentioned 
sort of the the combination of, of uh, academic institutions like Stanford and Berkeley, uh, all the investors who are sitting here, and and then all the startups who are you know um, working here creates a unique ecosystem that that is like a, what should I say it's, it's like a power uh, powerhouse for Norwegian startups and company who companies who, who wants to come over and learn and, and establish an understanding of how such an ecosystem can work so I think besides sort of being inspiring to individual companies it also is also very meaningful for the Norwegian ecosystem to learn from and try not necessarily to duplicate but to understand how all those factors have been put together successfully. And it, it's simply easier to build those networks and get those connections when you are, as you said, in the, mid, in the middle of it. And, and obviously Palo Alto has been for some time a, a great spot to be at for, for those purposes. I must say, you you sort of had the baptism of fire in there, being being in that spot, which is so dependent and renowned for physical coffee interaction. Being there in the year of the pandemic, it's it's been a rough year for 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 social interaction and for professional collaboration too. Definitely, I, I must admit that's what I signed up for. You know, to to be out there, to be among people, to to socialize and and create personal networks. And and to be quite honest, uh, Zoom and team calls doesn't quite cut it when it comes to establishing those relationships. You you meet a lot of people, you can have great you know conversations, but you don't you don't get to know people if if you have like a, just just a screen to look at. So I'm I'm super happy now that California has come such a long way, and and the U.S. in total when it comes to vaccinations. So now things are slowly easing up and, and people seem less uh, restrained in terms of, of meeting up. That's good to hear. So let's jump into some some sort of hot new companies, startups and, and, and others that are coming out of the Norwegian industrial history. Um, you mentioned a bunch of them. Um, I, I'm just going to list a couple. You can pick pick uh, a few to talk about. Avaldi, Zaptec, Red Rock, uh, PowerSeek. What are some of these companies doing? What, which ones are particularly fascinating maybe to an international audience? I would say um, uh, a couple of them come out of our long tradition for, for shipping. Obviously, Norway, since the very early days, have been uh, a huge shipping nation. And that has given deep understanding of both the opportunities and challenges uh, within shipping. So, so just to pick up on, on Ivaldi uh, with the slogan, which I really love as a marketing guy, send files, not parts. So it's basically a setup that allows... Uh, you know, huge uh, shipping companies to to print parts uh, locally and have them used on ships that might be sitting for days or even weeks in a in a harbor waiting for a part that would otherwise be shipped from across the world. So leveraging uh, both you know uh, high end three uh, D printing with all kinds of materials, but also understanding the need to certify and and quality assure those parts. Uh, has made this company a very interesting player in the future of shipping because they can spend, you know, these shipping uh, companies tons of time and money if they are able to to get stuff fixed and get the boat running faster. So that's that's an exciting company. Uh, Red Rock AI is 
is uh, another company coming from the marine industry, and they have uh, figured out ways to use artificial intelligence to make autonomous cranes to work in high waters to do maintenance or services, for instance, for, for uh, offshore wind installments. So, so, you know, with the safety risk and the cost related to doing maintenance and service in high seas, uh, their technology will allow uh, both, um, you know, offshore wind players and, and the supply chain industry to, to operate more safely. And they, they can use the same technology for warehousing and, and sort of simpler lifting jobs. But, but the, the, that's what is impressing to me, that you can have an autonomous crane work in, in high seas uh, far off the coast. Um, and then you have more sort of uh, demand and supply and demand players. So PowerSeek is, is a company that has been working with helping, uh, you know, especially in the marine sector, boats and both sort of leisure boats and, and industrial shipping to get the clean fuel they need at the port they need it. Because obviously most ports have, you know, oil and diesel uh, fuels, but to get your kind of re renewable energy or clean fuel at the port where you need it can be a big issue uh, as it is a rather young market. So they have specialized in sort of matching demand and uh, and supply and and helping their customers to find each other. Hmm. I'm just curious when you uh, are a representative, I guess it works both ways. You are presenting companies that come to visit, but you're also sending some reports back. How do you stay on top yourself of all these trends in in hundreds of different areas, lots of different companies? Uh, you know, you're, you're in touch with startups, you have a responsibility when the crown prince shows up, you're dealing with decision makers in California, you're dealing with the investor environment here, I'm sure, and clients and large, uh, you know, enterprises in, in California who you want to partner with these startups. How do you build that network? How do you build the knowledge required to do that? Yeah. Uh, how does one basically, you know, you know, helicopter down into Palo Alto and suddenly understand the ecosystem. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a proper challenge, but I'm blessed with, first of all, uh, four colleagues who have been here, uh, two American, two Norwegian. They've all been here for years and they've established an amazing network. So they have both built their own competency, but maybe even more importantly, established a network that is uh, very easy for us to reach out to. So when we meet you know, a company with some kind of deep technology, health tech or med tech or, or whatever, nanotechnology, you know, we rarely know everything about this, hardly anything, to be honest. So, so we really depend on having that network to reach out to, uh, both to educate ourselves, but more importantly, to introduce the companies so they, mo in, in the most effective way, can get in touch with the kind of advisors and knowledgeable people who, who they can, you know, learn from. So that is, I, I suppose, the most important part of our job here is to to grow and 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 uh, nurture those networks uh, in order to help people, and it, that also brings learning to us. And that, you know, that happens uh, physically, uh, hopefully soon again, uh, but it also happens uh, virtually. So I mean, to me, just following a lot of these uh, these people on LinkedIn, picking up the stories they share, I think that is a great you know way to to get knowledge 
And um, yeah, then for inspiration, I, I try to seek out, you know, podcasts that will inspire. I, I listen to Guy Kawasaki's Remarkable People. I really enjoy not not necessarily deep diving into the tech, but learning about the, the people behind, you know, great ideas and, and, and great careers. Very cool. So we've talked a little bit about Norway's industrial trajectory and the history of, of industrial tech and uh, also sustainability, but, you know, the petroleum sector and the legacy. As you're looking into the future and as Norway is looking into the next decade specifically, what do you think will happen? Will, um, will this search for new fuel alternatives, will it, is, it, is it sort of really, really heating up? Is this priority now... Um, spreading across all decision makers in Norway and you know as we're sort of preparing for the energy uh, needs of the future wh where do you see this uh, sustainability focus going given what you're seeing in startups and and also working I'm assuming with large Norwegian enterprises that that are connecting with you here in the United States yeah, I'm going to be careful to call myself an expert in this field, but obviously, with a with a recent report from the National Energy Agency, uh, you know, telling us that we have to stop all new exploration of, of fossil fuels, coal, and and petroleum, that is a challenge. Also pointed directly towards Norway, and and to me. Uh, it, it looks like all the major uh, players in the Norwegian petroleum sector is taking this very seriously, both through making sure that the constant improvement of the current oil production is as sustainable and clean as possible, uh, but also through investing heavily in alternative uh, you know, resources like solar, wind, hydrogen, and so forth. So I believe with the, with the combined mm -hmm. intention of our biggest uh, uh, energy companies and and uh, incentives uh, put forth by by the government and also the international community. I'm you know I'm hopeful that uh, we will slowly uh, change uh, change that uh, that scene. And uh, I also said so that you know renewable energies were the only source of energy where demand increased in in 2020, which is also you know a strong pointer towards uh, a future where we probably will hack and figure out new ways to solve this. And that's on the, on the supply side. And of course, on the demand side, I'm hoping to see even more technologies emerge that will reduce our needs for energy, you know, with, uh, with, you know, for instance, uh, the, the transition to lead bulbs instead of the, the old light bulbs, you know, is one example of how you can re reduce, I believe by 95% the need of energy for, for that little thingy. So with that in mind, I'm hopeful that, you know, new technologies will emerge, some of them from the major industrial players, but also a lot through, you know, uh, sharp entrepreneurs coming out of education and, and challenging the established industry. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm rather hopeful about that. Yeah. And I, I feel that there is a strong you know, uh, push uh, or, or, or search among young people for, you know, companies and, and products with a purpose. So I think uh, that will attract the sharpest minds will will go to the, the companies with the most uh, sort of sustainable and responsible profile. 
Interesting. Lastly, I thought one of the really sharp distinctions uh, between a welfare state uh, of a Scandinavian ilk and Nordic ilk and and the United States, whether it's California or any other state, is, of course, uh, this notion of uh, making this transition, this energy transition, or literally any, any social change in an equitable way where you are making conscious efforts to include kind of all parts of society, whether or not they're contributing financially in the same measure, which is you know, a very different discussion here in the United States because the sense is that if you contribute, you should get part of the upside. And if you don't, you know, you should suffer the consequences. How has this been ensured in Norway, if, if at all, you know, going forward? And what goes into that kind of thinking? And how do you counter, I guess, lastly, a, an um, observation from the United States that, that would be, you know, you're slowing us down because you're bringing everybody along? Mm. What, what is the thinking there in Norway and does it work? Yeah, first of all, I'd like to say that, you know, doing this in an equitable way was one of the key points in the discussion between Norway and California during this royal visit. So it's obviously a hugely important factor to succeed. Uh, in Norway, I would say it was solved, especially when it comes to, to the um, EV sector and zero emission vehicles. Uh, it was solved by making uh, the benefits, so both financially and practically, uh, so big to, to go from, from sort of petroleum and gas cars to electric. So you had, first of all, quite a lot of actually kind of tiny and cute cars in the beginning. Even before Tesla, you had, you had the Think car, you had the Buddies, you had all these freaky little cars that were, you know, they didn't have the range, but for, for commuting inside of Oslo or, or a, a small town, they were just great. And then you had the push. They were very inspiring. I've been in a Think. Uh, yeah, yeah they, they are so cute. And then actually it's... it's a I, I was going to say, I've been in a Think during the winter, uh, Christian, I, I, and I stranded, you know, my, my friend was working for Think and we were driving and the, the battery just gave in at some point. So we had to stop at a gas station for a while to get enough juice to, to, to move on. But yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. That's, but uh, those know, were the days. That, that, that's how you innovate, by feeling the pain of, uh, of early stage uh, products. But, uh, but it's kind of interesting. Back in, all the way back in 1995, uh, you know, the lead singer of AHA, Morten Harkett, together with this, uh, uh, this organization called Bologna, uh, they started to challenge the Norwegian government by, by riding their small electric car uh, through the toll booths without paying, they parked in, in places and, and refused to pay uh, for parking unless there was a charging station there. So there was this kind of early stage activism that got a lot of attention. And I'm not saying that led to the policies of Norway, but uh, returning to, you know, um, uh, helping everybody on board, I think, being able to ride for free in the bus lane, passing without paying the toll roads, saving a ton of money on gasoline because gasoline is super expensive in Norway, and also uh, having the tax benefits of buying electrical instead of, of uh, a traditional car really made it possible for you know small, uh, especially urban families in the beginning to, to actually get their first electric cars. And as the quality improved and the import of cars increased, I would say it's it's possible and very uh, accessible for basically all families in Norway now to go to go electric, and that has brought us to uh, I believe it's now fifty four percent of all new cars in Norway are electric, as compared to about three percent in California. So, 
But it, there's a strange dynamic here, though, whereby the there was the deal, I guess, struck with Elon Musk in a sense, because he he benefited hugely from all these incentives, and with the result that every Norwegian family is sitting there with a wonderful Tesla driving around. Uh, it's kind of an interesting. You you could maybe understand how GM the in the commercial to just to bring us back to the beginning here. You know, when when Will Ferrell was that upset, I guess there was a reason he could be upset. But the question is, you know, um, how upset will he be in ten years? Will GM and California and whoever it is catch up with fifty four percent, you know, renewable fleets or zero emission fleets? Is it possible, or is this lead purely something that's possible to do in a country that clearly invested a lot of resources. It, it, this was an expensive program. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping it's possible and I believe it's possible. Uh, but I would say you have this, what should I say, uh, factor in Norway that there is big trust in the government and you know that the next uh, sort of uh, the, next, uh, the, the, the next party to take over will continue the long-term ambitions. And I, I believe from my observation that you don't necessarily have that, that same kind of predictability uh, when it comes to, to the U.S. And I believe that is maybe a, a challenge uh, in order to, to reach the objectives. But I feel, you know, when, when Ford today, I believe, launched their F1 electric with Biden, you know, sort of uh, opening the show, uh, that is a strong signal uh, that things are moving in the right direction because I, f- I think if GM and Ford so clearly is you know showing their consumers that they are going electric, I think that will carry a lot of weight and it will also have these huge you know corporate car manufacturers, legendary car manufacturers, push on the on the government in order to make those investments pay off. So I think there is there is movement where the commercial side is also helping this happen. Yeah, it's just it's interesting though because I I, I was there, uh, you know, this friend of mine who worked at Think. I mean, I remember when Ford bought Think and when th- that was going to happen and this is a long time ago. This was, you know, th- th- this was back in uh, you know, the late 90s early 2000s. This is an enormous is like eight light years uh, 20 years ago. So there was an attempt 20 years ago it didn't happen. Do you really think this is the time? I mean, technology is is in a different place. And like you said, Norway's testbed has been operating and has proven that a smaller country can can do this. Um, it certainly seems very important to get this done now. But there's an enormous infrastructure challenge globally, uh, even in the EU, I guess, to to roll this out. You know, a car is not a car, right? You've got to have the the charging stations and and all of that to uh, to defend it. But um, lastly, do you have any observations uh, when it comes to other types of innovation that we can expect out of Norway? So there's green energy, sustainability um, has been you know a lot of your focus. What are some of the other exciting fields where you're seeing? Uh, startups pop up. I know uh, Kahoot was a was a little bit of an unexpected one. The edtech adventure. 
Yeah, I love that to see. I mean, Norway doesn't have a long history in sort of uh, consumer-facing innovation, whether they're software or hardware-based. But I, I think Kahoot is, you know, a pride for for all of Norway, and especially in the playful way they sort of expanded. Uh, so I love that company. Uh, I also worked for for a year and and was part of the launch strategy for Remarkable, which I think also a sort of uh, an innovation uh, that is important in our day and time. So it's you know it's a paper tablet, uh, very uh, you know single focused on reading, writing, and taking notes. Uh, no distractions. Simply a very focused tool. And I think in our you know engagement with all kinds of devices and all kinds of notifications stealing our attention all the time, I think that's a beautiful example of innovation that is timely and and very well thought through. Um, so on, I, I, I'm a, I come from advertising, I love consumer products. So to see, you know, those kinds of innovations coming out of Norway is, I, I think it's a thrill. Uh, on the more industrial side, you know, you have heavy investments now in, in battery supply chain and battery manufacturing, which obviously will be an important part of the whole general uh, sort of electric uh, or, or energy supply system. And that's, again, an area where the Nordics come together and collaborate on, on building uh, capacity and, and production of batteries. Uh, you also have, you know, in these times with uh, what I would call the senseless mining for Bitcoins with all the energy that demands, Norway has, you know, very green server parks. So a lot of big tech companies are looking to Norway for a more sustainable uh, uh, server park. Uh, so there's a lot of successful companies who are building out that kind of capacity with with cooling from cheap electricity or even mountains. Uh, so uh, so that is exciting. Lots of things to be excited about. So maybe there's a possibility that there could be other Super Bowl commercials in the future that still are mad at Norway in a in a positive and marketing. Uh, positive way, net, net positive way for, for for Norway's tech marketing efforts. Um, well, thanks, Christian. It's been wonderful to have you on the show, and I wish you the best as California's opening up to try to spend some uh, quality time uh, promoting, you know, healthy, sustainable innovation over there. Thank you. I'll do that, and I'll also, also try to manage to get up on my surfboard some some sunny day. <laughs> you should. You deserve that. All right, take care. Thank you. You have just listened to episode 114 of the Futurized podcast with host Trunarne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was sustainable Norway. In this conversation, we talk about sustainable entrepreneurship, systemic innovation, um, policy uh, reflected by the Norwegian strategy at a governmental level and resulting in a focus on research and development grants and funding that incent green tech innovation. My takeaway is that stimulating certain types of innovation at the governmental level is important and can be influential, but does not alone drive overall innovation in that same direction. Entrepreneurs think independently and cannot so easily be incentivized, but working with entrepreneurs in mind certainly helps. Although in Norway's case, the legacy of stimulating oil and gas production has been far more important, and there is a lot of catch-up to do to become a leading voice in sustainability. So, sustainable Norway may have both dollars and vision behind it now, but it will, in many people's minds, need to prove its transformational intent throughout this decade in order to be credible. 
Thanks for listening. If you liked the show, subscribe at futurize.org or in your preferred podcast player and rate us with five stars. If you like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode 102 on the geotech decade, episode 70 on the future of cleantech, or episode 58, building the Southern California of tomorrow. Futurized, conversations that matter.